Welcome to the PK Podcast. This is Peter King. I'm the host of the show. And if you're noticing an increased level of quality in this intro, it's because I finally invested in a pop filter. Uh, if you don't know what a pop filter is, it's that little screen that sits in front of the microphone and uh, it reduces all the popping sound when you say, like, the letter P, which you would think in this particular podcast I would have, uh, in the PK podcast, that I would have gotten a filter earlier than this. But I haven't, and alas, I finally got one. So, uh, yeah, we're all better off for it. Anyway, I sit down with Boyson Hodgson, who is the communications and marketing director for a program called The Mankind Project. And The Mankind Project has been around for a couple of decades. Uh, they have an entire rite of passage experience for men. I've not yet done it myself. Part of the reason for this call is because I wanted to hear more about what the program is and what they do and how they help. Um, but also, obviously, to share with um, you, my listeners, that um, that this is out there and this is a thing. Um, it's the kind of work that's very near and dear to my heart. If you're a listener of the podcast, you know that this is something that I, that I do, that I coach, that I help other men as well. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, you know, we're not competitors. We're both aiming towards the same goal. And if we wake up tomorrow and our services are not needed, then we're in a much better place. And that makes me happy. So anyway, uh, listen up, take notes, let me know what you think. And here we are with Boyson Hodgson. All right, Boyson Hodgson, thank you so much for joining us on the call today. I appreciate it, man. Um, you are uh, you are with the Mankind Project. Yes? That's right. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This was a this is a rapid turnover. This is like last week we connected, and here we are today. At we, you know, we we gotta we got things to do. You know, we gotta publish. We gotta we gotta change lives. We gotta reach the masses, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. We gotta change lives and reach the masses. Yes, yeah. mankind uh, project. Yes, I have. I've been connected MKP for fourteen years and employed by MKP for the last eight plus. Okay, and what's your uh, role there again? I'm the communications and marketing director for okay. USA. Well, that makes that makes perfect sense that we're talking today. Then, yes, um, I, I actually knew that. I just wanted to share that with the with the listeners. Um, so, for those who are unfamiliar with the Mankind Project, let's first and foremost give the the thirty second overview of what it is and why it exists. Yeah, why it is why it is is because we have this belief that the more uh, powerful, accountable, compassionate, emotionally intelligent, purpose-driven men we have in the world, the more we're going to be able to tackle some of the deep wounds that we have in a society. So for 35 years, we've kind of been um, looking at uh, what is it that we can do to give men healthy, healthy containers to do deep, profound, transformational, emotional work that will have them be better at who they are in the world and in their lives. So that's, you know, that's a meme that I'm sure you've kind of heard from some other folks. For sure. For sure. I mean, it's obviously something that I've been focused on myself and, and have had a handful of interviews already in that space. So yeah. um, you talked about the the deep wounds that men typically have today in, in the Western world, yeah. I presume. What what are those wounds? Well, I think I was actually listening to another podcast with a Jungian analyst, uh, James Hellman, um, a, a little while ago, and he 
talked about the secrets that men keep and that from a super early age at least in you know for the last 150 years in western culture and i would say accelerating more and more through the 21st 20th century and into the 21st century we are social socially conditioned from the age from birth and then those social conditioning intensifies all through childhood about what we have to be, what we can show, what we can't show, what's acceptable for boys and men to be, what's not acceptable. And so you bring all of that childhood conditioning and the wounding and things that naturally happen, take away a lot of the natural expressions that human beings have, emotional expressions and ways of handling things that human beings have, from kids and then get us into adulthood and put us in a culture where the market system, the economic system, the social structures are changing, environmental systems are changing, family dynamics and structures are changing, all of these things accelerating and you end up with what? You end up with what we have. You end up with men who are isolated, who don't have a sense of purpose in their lives, who act out in fairly predictable, addictive, violent, disconnected ways. You have the epidemic of male suicide. You have, you know, all of the statistics and things that you've heard about before. And you have a whole lot of men who are not connected to themselves and connected to other men in a community that can start to impact the systems that create these social conditions for all of us. So uh, would you say then that those social conditions come from those systems? And if so, what systems are you referring to? Nice. Yes. I, I'm very much in the kind of constructivist camp in the way that I see uh, the way that I see race and gender and economics and class and all of these things and the systems that I think are, are most prescient here and you know the men's movement has kind of been talking about this for the last 30 or 40 years but we fundamentally have changed the way our social structures work in the last 250 years in in what way specifically would you say so the industrial revolution fundamentally off altered the way men work and the way we exist from, you know, from agrarian society to urban society, production society, now we're into an information society. So family systems fundamentally started shifting. I, I see our culture and our systems as we've moved from a community-based system, system of large extended families, system of close-knit, you know your neighbors, kind of you know, you know that 125 people who live close around you, there's some level of self-sufficiency, some level of sustainability in a small community to disconnected systems and everything's transactional. So it's what, um, what are you going to give me for the value or whatever I'm going to give you? And then my job, and this is the market system, the market system says, that in order to be successful, I got to be getting more from you than I'm giving. 
competition as a fundamental reality. Me getting more is, is how we are programmed to win, right? So winning becomes the object of life. And I think, you know, from childhood, I certainly saw that. You know, it's like, okay, what is it to be a man? To be a man is to win. Mm. To be a man is to compete. To be a man is to use whatever whatever natural aggression I may have um, to dominate whatever it is that I'm trying to tackle. Um, so start putting together fundamentally different family systems, fundamentally different social structures, a, an incredible increase in the amount of connectivity around the world. So we get to see other cultures in a way that we never were able to see other cultures. We get to access information in ways we were never able to access information, combined with market systems. And I, to me, that's the big that's the big one. How, like, how does how does seeing other cultures affect um, masculinity today? Uh, we exist now in a world where 200 years ago, what I was born into was basically what I was gonna be. Mm -hmm. I might be born into the carpenter's family and the expectation was pretty reasonable that I was gonna be a carpenter. Mm -hmm. Or a farmer family, the expectation was pretty gonna be a farmer. Now, uh, and, and that I would have identification with a particular uh, religious identification, an identification with an ethnic, an identification, you know, is pretty homogenous cultures. Now, I have access to all the information and wisdom that mankind has ever produced in history. Now, I can see any type of culture now I can pursue almost any kind of vocation, you know. So the kind of foundations for who we are and what we're here to do as men, or he, who we are and what we're here to do as people, is vastly more complex mm -hmm. than so, it would have been. So you're just to be clear, so you're not saying that that necessarily contributes to the quote-unquote masculine wound it's just something that's hugely impactful that's impacting all of us that that changes the the game basically yeah changes yeah. the game and yeah. yes and how i would relate that directly to masculinity is one of the characteristics that men are supposed to supposed to have is a kind of sense of surety right we know we go for it we see it we go for it and not knowing is not masculine <laughs> being confused being unsure not knowing where i fit in not having a place a sense of purpose like all of those things men repress all of those things those become secrets that we keep mm. i don't know what it means to be a man i don't always feel like a man yeah i don't know what it's supposed to feel like to feel like a man yeah I have emotions that I don't know what to do with, but I can't talk about it because I'm a man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my personal experience, some of those, um, you know, and I, I, 
some of those feel like stereotypes to me that um, I res some of those resonate with me, some of those do not. But I do know mm -hmm. that those resonate with many, regardless yeah. of which one. And, right. and I do know, at least in my personal experience, I mean, there was a time where I took my son fishing one time just because I'm a, a father to a son. And I, I knew that that was something that fathers and sons did, although that never happened with my father and I. So I wanted to establish that bond with him. And we went out to go fishing this one time and, you know, I got the pole and I got the, the bait and all that kind of stuff. And I realized when I got there that the, the pole wasn't, I, I didn't have a hook and I didn't know how to put the bob on it. And, and I was so like embarrassed about, like, I don't even know how to freaking put together a fishing pole. It's the easy, it should be the easiest thing in the world, but I'd never really done it before. And so I sort of humbly tail between my legs, went up to these two teenage boys that were rigging their thing up and asked them, and they're like, yeah, you, you know, you put the string in here or whatever. And it just was like, man, I don't, I don't even know some like one-on-one level masculine stuff. So it's been a bit of a journey, turbulent, turbulent journey so far, but I, you know, as I've been connecting with other men, that certainly there's these um, unknowns that are traditionally speaking anyway, at least very core to the masculine experience. Yes, and and that's that's beautifully that's a that's a great story. That's a nice story. So it's things like you know things as specific as that. You know, a man is supposed to know how to put a hook on on a fishing line like what percentage of men out there today 150 say 140 million men in the united states what percentage of those guys actually does know how yeah to put a hook yeah well, I mean, you know, and that list is a very long list because I'm in some other you yeah. know, men's groups or whatever, and we talk about it. We, we've talked about similar things, and there was a list of that went around that was like, this is something that every man needs to know. And it was change a tire, change out oil, you know, be able to do woodworking, cut down a tree, this, that, use a chainsaw. Like, and, and, you know, these are very traditional masculine tools yeah. in a lot of respect. Um, at least in our culture and our society, and um, you know, I might have been able to do a third of them, maybe a half, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's just yeah. I mean, it's just the information age. You're not, you're not outside as much. You're not unless you're a laborer. You know, unless you work right. with your hands. Um, but many men don't today. So. So it's for, and then look at that. So t now, from what era? From what era are most of those skills? You know, outside of a chainsaw, maybe. But you should know how to use an axe. Or hatchet to chop down a tree. Yeah, what era is that? Um, That's agrarian society. Yeah. So, you know, as a modern man in 2018, or as a boy growing up in 2018, I'm supposed to still know how to do all the things that a man in 1850 or 1870 or 1900 was supposed to know how to do. Well, I mean, let's let's say for example, or let's just say for the sake of argument, like, do does a man today need to know that? Is there benefit to knowing those kind of skills? So things that, and thank you, Daniel Pink, right? So things that people want to feel a sense of purpose. People want to feel mastery over skills. 
they want to have a sense of connection and they want to have a sense of uh, of like belonging. So mastery is a human skill. Mastery is something that we long for. So it doesn't really matter what skills it is. Does a man need to learn how to master something? Cool. Yes. Let's go for it. What do we want to master? How about, you know, communication? Yeah. Let's master communication. It's just a different framework. We've got, we're way off of the Mankind Project, but I think, you know, it's all, what does it mean to be a man? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, I was sitting at a lot of what I have done in the recent past has been sitting behind a computer and it got to a point a couple of years ago, I was like, I, I need to change it up and I need to do something outside. And I do, that's one of the reasons why I asked you yeah, is there value cool. in yeah. learning those agricultural uh, skills today. And so at the time I thought for me that there would be, I ended up um, uh, working for a friend for a little bit over the summer and did some logging and you know, it was, it was shifting. I, it didn't have to think as much. I mean, mm -hmm. it, obviously it was a different type of thinking, but it was much mm -hmm. more about physical laboring than it was about, you know, coming up with strategy and ideas and the things I do behind the computer. Um, and I did find that, that that physical exertion did connect me to a way in a masculine way that I hadn't felt in a long time. Just the cool. sweat, you know, I'm out there, it's a hundred degrees out, it's humid, I'm sweating, I got sawdust everywhere, I got poison ivy everywhere, I've got, you know, I twisted my ankle, so I'm like hobbling around, up and down. So like there was a lot of physical, yeah, and you know, you mm -hmm. had to come, overcome that. And it was frustrating and I kept pissing myself off, I kept pissing off the, the guy I was working for, I broke the chainsaw, mm -hmm. I don't know how many times, you know, how, how to fix it, how to uh, sharpen the blade, all that kind of stuff. Did even though sure. I don't necessarily need to know that for my you know existence today, it actually for me anyway it did. There, there was something about it that was uniquely masculine um, because of the brute strength that it takes to to do stuff like that, and it was dangerous and you know these huge thousands of pounds of trees smashing around you. It was, mm -hmm. it was an adrenaline rush. It was amazing. <laughs> it was so the question, yeah, totally. And the question for me is, do you have to do that in order to be a man? Yeah, that's a good question, and yeah. I, I wouldn't say that you would have to do it. Um, right. At least in my experience, I have found that there's value in um, just the same way that a woman goes, you know, she has she gives birth, or um, the way that her body flexes in a way that a man does, a man's doesn't. To me, there's a, a unique um, component to masculinity that is strength that. There is value. There can be value in that type of an um, experience for a guy who's looking to deepen his own understanding of what he's made of, literally what he's made of, even if that makes sense. H how would you I, answer that question? I like that. I like that, and I don't necessarily think that has to be gendered. Um, so mastery, I think mastery is good. And just to give you background on who I am. I grew up in very rural upstate New York. So, you know, I was doing wood before I was doing wood, stacking woods, helping split wood, stack wood, all of that stuff. By the age of 10, my first job was digging trees on a nursery at the age of 13. 
you know, I did the sawmill, worked in a sawmill for a summer, built houses, did foundation work, did cement work, did like all of those kinds of things. So like, yeah, I am a guy who has tools and and owns a chainsaw and, and all of that stuff. And I was, you know, I grew up surrounded by boys and men, grew up doing all of these things that are, quote, masculine. And that's great. And I had that sense of, yeah, I can do that. Like, whatever that is, I can do that. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. And yet... I was still like fundamentally disconnected in important ways that limited me in the kinds of relationships that I could have. Mm, sure. That limited me in, in even my relationship to other men. You know, so I got stuck in a box of men do this, mm. men are this way. You know, men are this way in relationship to women. Men are this way in relationship to the physical world. Men are this way in relationship to other men. That, you know, given our current state, current culture, and what we need for all of us and for the planet, that was very limited. Mm -hmm. And I think any skill that any human being goes out there to get is good. Like, you know, let's say that, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Go get skills. You know, that's really interesting. I, I found, um, I mean, my experience was different than that. I didn't get a lot of the, the, the stereotypical masculine, you know, tools and things like that. My father worked a ton. He was not around much when I was growing up, if at all. Um, I often felt like I was pioneering my way through, you know, adolescence and, uh, and young adulthood and things like that. Didn't really have a lot of mentors. Um, my grandfather a little bit, but you know, he was lived out of state, whatever. Um, and I found that like, we each have our own unique experiences, especially if you look at yeah. even how uh, women relate to men. You look at the Me Too movement, you look at these kind of things and, and we all have this experience of men in our lives. And mm -hmm. some, some people, men and women, have had experiences where the men in their lives have been abusive They've been overbearing. They've been, you know, bulldozers. They've been alcoholics. They've been destructive. And then you have other groups of people where the men have been vacant and absent, mm -hmm. and yeah. there's nothing yeah. there. There's a, it's, it's just an echo chamber. Yeah. Um, and then you have experiences where men uh, and women have grown up around men that were very gentle and and kind, but maybe weak and not very assertive and very, um, uh, you know, the mother wear the pants in the family. And the father was very supportive and nurturing and caring. And, and so I feel like all of us are at the base of a mountain and we're trying to reach the summit. And um, instead of maybe arguing with each other about, no, this is what men are, what they should be or whatever. It's like, I think we're all trying to point to the same thing. Nice. A yes. Sense of wholeness and balance. Yes. Um, how, does, yeah. how does the Mankind Project serve that goal? Sweet. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah, we, we're all at the base of the mountain or we're all on the path and, and many paths, one, one summit. Um, and integration. Integration is a fantastic word. Um, so MKP, so the things that we do, we run experiential training programs, really intense training programs that we call their rites of passage, hero's journey, initiation experiences for guys. 
we run men's groups. So we've got about 700 men's groups operating in the United States, supporting and, your own. And are these, I'm sorry, are these local chapters or are they online or? Local chapters, okay. yep, face-to-face. -face. Okay. So we do over 100 trainings a year. Our flagship training is called the New Warrior Training Adventure. Then we have like 700 men's groups in the United States, and then we have additional training. So all kinds of levels of leadership training and relationship trainings, and there's some co-gender trainings, and there's a bunch of other stuff that we do. And the whole idea is to meet men where they are with all of our unique life experiences, as you were saying, yeah. and give men an opportunity in a very kind of intense cauldron to see our differences and our similarities and to experience the kind of wide variety of masculinity, the wide variety of kinds of men, what we have in common, what we have is difference, and to be able to honor it all. Mm -hmm. So to help the, hard, the hardened guy who got all of one kind of lesson in his younger life crack the shell and find access to that softer, more nurturing heart that's in there for him. To give that gentle guy who might have given away his power or give away too much of his power, the kind of nice guy syndrome that Dr. Robert Glover talks about, um, find the inner strength to learn how to harness a different kind of energy mm -hmm. and bring it up. And the environment that we create to do that in the weekend is unique to, to anything else that we know about. When we do a training program, if you're one of 20 or 30 participants, there's gonna be 40 to 60 staff. That's incredible. On the weekend. You're not going to know who the leaders are. Oh, they're they're mixed in with the group. Everybody's going to be there. I went through this process 14 years ago. I had I could have given some suspicions about. Oh yeah, that guy's probably one of them. But I didn't know until Sunday afternoon at the end of the training who everybody was. Hmm. I just knew that I was surrounded by all kinds of men going through this process together that creates, you know, you and I have the experience of being in bigger groups of men, right? And the kind of energy that's generated there, yeah. the kind of experience that we can get out of that. Yeah. We create that in a really structured, process-based, you know, there's, there's ritual, there's individual activity, there's group activity, there's there's journaling, visualization, and just intensity for 48 hours. Yeah, the, what you said it before, and then you just said it again right now, the intensity. That's something I've heard. I, I mean, I've heard a little, I haven't gone through the process yet, um, but I have spoken to other people who have and seen things online or whatever, and intense seems to be the word that, that kind of uh, <laughs> defines the entire experience if you had to choose one word. What yeah. makes it so intense? And is that for, for somebody that's listening who might be interested in that, myself included, what what level of intense are we talking about? And uh, what clarity can you provide to sort of 
speak to somebody who might feel a little nervous about that or like, what does that exactly mean? Nervous is good. I was, I was terrified (laughs) before tackling this process. And I had known multiple men who had gone through this process in my family. In fact, you know, a bunch of brothers and my dad and whole bunch of men in my family went through this process long before I went through it. And I was terrified of it. Um, and I think that was the that was a good attitude <laughs> to take in. And the process is modeled on a kind of initiatory experience. So, you know, what is in a traditional initiation is separation from what you know. You are kind of pulled out of the normal world and into a world that you don't understand. Mm-hmm. And there's a point on the weekend, there's a point where you are invited to go and knock on a door and, and make a commitment. And when that door opens, you're entering a different world for the next 48 hours outside of your normal life. And through the next 48 hours, you're taken through a traditional kind of hero's journey experience. You're separated, you're tested. So there's multiple tests of all different kinds through the weekend. Some of it's physical. It's not an incredibly, like, it's not, um, you know, we're not putting you out in the woods in the middle of the night with nothing. Like, that's not what it's about. But there's physical testing, there's intellectual testing, there's kind of challenges within the group. There's games um, and individual testing. So you go through that descent process, we call it. And then by Saturday afternoon, there is an ordeal. The heart of any initiation, the heart of any hero's journey is to face what holds the power. And in the New Warrior Training Adventure, what holds the power is something within you. This is not an enemy outside of you that you have to face. This is something that is within you right now that is difficult to look at or you don't want to look at or you know you need to look at. Mm -hmm. And through the process of through individual work, men do all sorts of different things to kind of battle the dragon, their inner demon and come out of that process, and here's the hero's journey again, you win the battle and you get the boon. What's the gold that you get to capture Mm -hmm. as a result of doing battle with that inner demon? And for a lot of guys, that is where that integration happens. It's like I get to take this part of me that I've never really fully gotten a hold of and integrated into who I am. And for many men, for me, like that was 14 years ago, and I can still have the visceral visceral experience of what that felt like. I still know in my body what it felt like to go through that process. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about a rite of passage, it's yeah. more than just, um, you know, because I've, I've done some similar work uh, and similar experiences and what have you. 
and you know what you said there at the end where it's an embodiment it's not yeah. an intellectual aha and i think i think a lot of us confuse that especially in, in the information age um, yes we confuse intellectual ahas with oh now i get it it's like no 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 you know it in your head but you don't know it in your body and that yeah. experience forces your body to adapt and to grow and to fully receive that new knowledge that's anchored within your soul um, yes you know and, and for somebody who's listening that still might be unclear on that like if you've ever been through a brutal breakup or um, or you know either you left or they had to leave or whatever and you had that pain right that pain yeah. was an embodiment and chances are you're not going to make those same mistakes again you're gonna you're gonna be more aware of that because you embody that knowledge and it's not just a an intellectual knowledge yeah um, yeah I'll, and I'll take that let me run with that example yeah. as an example so say that 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 might be your parents divorce or that might be the end of your first marriage or that might be something that was in your past extremely painful that got embedded in your body um there's work out there uh bessel van der Kolk, the body keeps the score mm. that all of these things that we experience get embedded in our soma embedded in our bodies so you know then the next time i'm in a relationship and I feel anything that vaguely starts to feel like that used to feel, all of that comes flooding back mm -hmm. into my body, that felt experience. So one of the things that you might do in the New Warrior Training Adventure is learn how to disentangle that old experience, that old body experience, and reboot with a new sense of power or safety or love or connection or healing that you can take forward mm -hmm. integrated into your life mm -hmm. so that that's kind of saturday and then after that you know the the rite of passage what what do we do next we celebrate and tell the story so after that win everyone kind of gets to reflect on the win celebrate and continue that integration into Sunday. And then in, on Sunday, kind of, we enter the last phase of the initiatory process, which is reemergence into community. It's reclaiming, picking up the baggage that we dropped at the door on the way in and saying, do I really want to take this with me or do I want to leave it behind? Reclaiming what we want to take with us within this now really tight, you know, I've got, I've got buddies from that weekend who I am still so tight with from that experience mm -hmm. of going through that. Um, and then emerging into Sunday. Sunday is kind of a ritual and settling in and, you know, the end of the day is the celebration and then you go home. And then we pick up from there with the Mankind Project with face-to-face -face men's groups. So now you can go join a group of men who have also been through this experience um, and continue to kind of do that work to integrate and face whatever new hardships because the hero's journey is a repeating process, right? We're just, we're all in some stage of a journey and we're all getting ready for our next one.
Mm-hmm. The next yeah. summit. The, well, the next, summit. yeah, the next summit. The, yeah, yeah, the next thing. Yeah, for me, that is that is parenthood these days is the cauldron of my initiation. Well, let's <laughs> let's go there for a second. How do we, as men, prepare our young boys to be men tomorrow? That's beautiful. Um, great question. Um, so for me, on the individual level, what I know I have now is I have a group of uh, trusted men in my life who are around my kids and they get to see how I, as a grown-ass man, interact with other men in a way that is uh, in a way that is accountable and has integrity and is open and connected. So my kids get to know me as a man who interacts with other men on an authentic, connected level. Like, so there's one thing, is creating new models for our kids to see, because they become what they see. And the other model is, out of the Mankind Project over 20 years ago now, Several organizations grew up in different places in the world, the largest of which is called Boys to Men. And Boys to Men runs initiatory processes for 13 to 17-year-old boys and then puts them with mentors and within mentoring groups, journeyman groups. Mm, cool. So that same kind of thing. Give them models, give them mentors, give them an ongoing place to do the work. For uh, for a man who's listening to this right now, who has a son, what are some, what are some things that he can be doing to, to, that he could do potentially today, right now, to help give some clarity to, you know, to, to helping him improve his relationship with his son and help better prepare him. Are, are the things, or I mean, do they really need to go to these experience? Obviously, the experiences are are things that will level level them up in ways that reading a book or hearing this podcast or whatever I can't do, but are there some simple things that they can take away right now to just get a, ba- a better view or a better clarity uh, or some simple things that they could do to help improve that relationship? Yeah, I think my keyword for my keyword for manhood, but also keyword for parenting is presence. So, and presence is something that you can start nurturing right now. Learning how to get fully present with yourself and let that presence translate to how you interact with your kids. So, you know, you had a dad, like I had a dad, who was disconnected a lot of the time. So how much did you actually feel your dad? Not a lot. Yeah. Kids long for the presence of their dad. And that presence has weight, has gravity. And it doesn't, you know, so that's one thing. Cultivate presence. And and presence, my most successful moments as a father have not been the moments when I was perfect. They are the moments when I fucked up and owned it. Mm. They've been the moments when I give my kids the space to, uh, yeah, right? So I'm just, I'll just tell a story. So my 12-year-old, last week, 
we're going through a, going through a thing. Twelve year old, twelve. This twelve uh, year old boy, right? Twelve year old girl. Oh, twelve year old girl. Okay. Twelve year old girl, Janelle, five foot eight, um, seventh grader, strong willed, um, and in awesome ways, in awesome ways. And she was trying to express some frustration with me, and da 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 da. And I immediately started to jump in, you know, jump in, respond, jump in, answer, jump in, fix, jump in, do whatever. And she said, "Daddy, stop! Just listen to me." Like parenting win. I've taught my kid to say stop, listen to me, and then I can step back and say, "Got it." What do you need me to hear? Mm-hmm. Change the whole dynamic of the situation mm-hmm. instantly mm-hmm. because of that presence and willingness to not have all the answers and have to be right and you know have to dominate the situation. Um, that's that's really great, and I do th- presence to me is a key word I think as well, and and obviously not just the masculine experience, but. Um, the feminine one as well, but with respect to that father-daughter relationship, or frankly, from a, for, from men to women, what are what are some things there? What are the what are the biggest things that people get hung up on? That men get hung up on when it comes to relationships with women. Cool. I don't get to. Um, yeah, we we live in. I am hopeful, hopeful and and frightened. So we're in a fraught time right it's it's new time the me too movement is a new time and from my work in the mankind project what i am emphasizing we launched a campaign called i am responsible and the i am responsible campaign in mkp is about me recognizing as a man that i'm responsible for the kind of masculine culture i'm creating in the world I'm responsible for my actions. I'm responsible for my impacts. I'm responsible for the role model that I am. And this is uh, anathema to some men, but I'm also my brother's keeper. I'm responsible for the dudes that are around me. So for me, the relationship to women is about cultivating dignity and respect and cultivating a culture of masculinity that maintains that, that has that. So, um, yeah, I don't get to control another woman's body. I don't get to control, I don't get to police uh, how women show up in the world, right? I get to model the kind of, uh, the kind of man who is powerful and listens you know those those kinds of things so in my relationship with my wife and my relationship with my kids that's the kind of stuff that i get to practice sometimes badly and sometimes well <laughs> so this is this is a conflict that i hear a lot and i'd be very curious to hear what you how you respond to this because so many men I think here today of all the ways that they're failing, uh, they're either too hard, too soft, you know, they're, they're too abusive, too destructive, uh, the patriarchy, the me too movement, all that stuff. 
and there's validity in all of that. I don't, I'm not yeah, dismissing right. that at all. Don't get me wrong. But um, at the same time, we're also learning uh, assertiveness and uh, intention. And so how do those two worlds collide in a way that is empowering to both men and women? Um, what are the things, let me, this maybe gets to the point of my question, which is, what is it that men do right? What is it that men do well so that there's a vision for somebody who's struggling or, or somebody who's not aware and can take on more responsibility? Responsibility for what? What do we do right? Cool. And I think that all men, um, men as human beings, I think we are born with, um, I used the word gravity earlier, yeah. and that comes back to me. The more embodied and the more on point, on purpose, in my body and in my being I am, there is a sense of gravitas, there's a sense of gravity to my manhood. And what I note in men that I, that I develop deep respect for is that kind of cuts across doesn't have to be machismo, but there's gravity, there's weight to their being. And, and that weight is, is in a felt sense. So what do guys do right? Guys are friggin' amazing nurturers. Mm -hmm. Guys are amazing. Men's love for each other and protective instinct for, our, for women and children, for others in our lives, our ability to do that is amazing yeah. and beautiful. Yeah. Our our curiosity. Ooh, I'm gonna dive into that. I wanna I wanna, you know, discover. Our curiosity is amazing. And none of these is uniquely masculine. You know, none of these is, are uniquely masculine traits, but it's just like I see those things. I see, you know, men with drive and gravity and a sense of their own purpose and deep respect for accountability. I do what I say I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. I'm congruent. You know, I tell the truth. So that's, those are all things that I think men do beautifully. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, but I got to get, because the other thing that you brought up is, you know, feels like men do everything wrong, right? And I, I, I read, I see a lot of this online, and I, I read a lot. I read a lot about what's going on. So shame. Let's talk about shame. <laughs> so I can acknowledge and hold responsibility for something without being ashamed, Shame's optional. Mm -hmm. Culpability, not optional. If I'm culpable for something, I took an action that had an impact, it's responsibility, mm -hmm. right? Good. Should I feel bad about that? Maybe. Do I? What do I value? Well, I value safety. Did I make someone else unsafe? Did I injure somebody? Yes, you did. Mm -hmm. Shit. There it is. Shame is probably an appropriate response there so that I can line back up with what I value. Shame and value go together, right? Should men, should men feel, sh uh, were you finished with that thought? No. Okay. <laughs> should men with, feel I can see shame? You're about to, 
Good. That's the thought. <laughs> so should men feel ashamed? Shame is about I am bad, right? Is a being state. I am bad. I am worthless. I am not worthy of love. I am not worthy of attention. I can acknowledge I can acknowledge wrongdoing. I can acknowledge the ugliness without getting caught in shame, which is toxic, which can be toxic. Shame is going to cause me to act out more. Shame is going to have a negative, negative impact on my behavior. Responsibility, accountability, positive impact on my behavior. So when I see men getting caught up in, you know, the idea that uh, that there is a way that there is unhealthy masculinity, toxic masculinity. I don't necessarily like that term, but that there are ways that men show up in the world that are toxic. I can look out there and say, yep. And not feel ashamed, but feel motivated to be responsible. Mm -hmm. I can be motivated by that rather than shut down by it. Should men, and maybe you kind of just said this, but should men feel shamed by the actions of others, either our ancestors or other men, or how does how does one navigate that in your mind? Um, should men feel shamed by? I would say no. Should men get real clear on what they value and act appropriately in response? Yes. So, and I'll, I'll give you a direct example of that. So, I am the direct descendant of slaveholding families. Not one, but multiple. Do I feel ashamed about that sitting here today? No, I don't feel shame. Do I feel the weight of the reality that that has created across generations? Yes. What does that motivate me to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that really frees you up to um, be outward focused instead of inward. Shame is ultimately focused on self. Um, and so I, I can see how that would be a more empowering move to, that ultimately would serve a greater good. Um, and, and while also not dismissing it or not, oh. not dealing with the reality of it. Because there's a clear, yeah, clear reality tell, of it that needs to be acknowledged, I think. Yeah. Cl- tell the truth. Yeah. What's reality? Yeah. Is there any reason to argue with reality? No. Yeah. What do I do from here? And I like what you said, that shame is very inter- – shame is defense. Shame is defensive. Shame is collapse. We don't need more collapsed men in the world. Yeah. You know, however that shows up, collapsed men do horrible fucking things. Yeah. We need opened men creating beautiful things. Agreed. Yeah. Do you have, um, do you have an example, this is putting you on spot a little bit, but do you have an example uh, of an open, strong man that you're talking about either in pop culture or, um, or a fictional character or something that that people could sort of tangibly associate to and go, oh yeah, I see what you mean. Like that, that, that represents more of that integrated manhood that other people would know too. I'm, I'm sure you have other yeah. men in your life that other people don't know, but. 
Yeah, I've got lots of dudes in my life that others don't know. Um, So, you know, I would point at, there are a couple of figures out there right now who, yeah, so stereotype. Let's hit the stereotypes. Terry Crews, right? Have you, are you familiar with kind of how Terry Crews has been showing up in pop culture lately? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So just look at the dude and it's, Absolutely. He's the stereotype of a monster. I mean, he's huge. And how is he showing up? He's showing up with vulnerability, acknowledgement, acknowledging reality, both his own reality and the reality that he creates in the world. And, you know, and saying that, look, dudes can be this and this. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, at the same time, Justin Baldoni is another figure who's been doing a lot of work out there right now with his, he did a roundtable conversations that he published into Netflix talking about this. And again, the kind of question at the center of his TED talk was, are you strong enough to be vulnerable? Are you masculine enough to be vulnerable? Mm -hmm. And kind of turning the stereotype on its head to say, hey, dude, there's, you know, there are other ways to use this strength. For sure, which, you know, I think, I think that's uh, perhaps women come at it a little from a different perspective or a different angle, but I think that there's a lot of value in that for women as well, because I think a lot of women yeah. struggle with vulnerability seems weak, vulnerability seems uh, passive, vulnerability seems, um, you know, open to exposure. I don't want to be vulnerable. And so helping, I think women also wrestle with that too. Yes. Yeah. And I, I definitely think that that's true. And I, you know, there's, there's kind of a cultural meme that says that women are much more able to communicate with each other and connect with each other. Um, Sometimes I buy that, but I don't think so. I think that systemically the systems we were talking about in the beginning are set up against all of us right now. I think that's like, fair to say. I, I I mean, I do think that women tend to naturally more uh, more naturally connect or seek to, at the very least seek to connect. Um, they tend to be more communal, as I in my experience. Um, I, I find that of the genders, men are the ones that are typically isolated. They're out on the battlefield alone, seemingly anyway, at least psychologically. Um, you know, the, trying to figure it out, and it's not as uh, readily available to reach out and connect with other men, stereotypically speaking. That's been my totally. experience. Yeah, and we're taught that from you know from the age of four. Boys well, ner- start. Like, if you look at neuroscience, neuroscience actually shows that a woman's brain is far more connected, literally, between the two hemispheres than men's are. There is, um, I mean, I would, I could potentially make a, a case, not that we need to go there per se, but that. We're, we're kind of reflecting our own biology to some degree, but uh, to me, the opportunity is as we evolve, can men acknowledge the, the compartmentalization that we often find ourselves in for good reason? There's good value yeah. to that because we're trying to overcome obstacles and, and you know conquer the hurdles and uh, reach destinations. It's that masculine drive. Um, can we evolve to understand that while perhaps that's maybe our nature or you might say our conditioning or whatever, it doesn't, regardless of what you label it with, 
Sure. A lot of men do do that. Can we evolve to the point where men can actually open up too? And then obviously vice versa. Can women who stereotypically connect better, who, you know, feel more, et cetera, or more emotionally intelligent, if you will. Again, I know I'm painting with broad strokes here, but can yeah. they learn how to be more masculine? Can they get things done? And, and it seems like women in that respect are, are further along to it as far as their adaptability goes. Um, almost every woman I know has has learned how to be masculine. If anything, they've kind of forgotten how to be feminine and, and find that feminine light and joy. Um, but what, what you're about and, to say something. And let's discount. Yeah. And let's say, so let's again, remind ourselves that masculine and man and feminine yes. and woman, let's disconnect those from, from bio, from biological gender. Right. And you know, the answer to your question, hell Yes. Right. Guys can learn. Right. And hell yes, women can learn. Yeah. And here's what I think is different culturally in those two things, as you were just saying. Um, the culture actually supports high levels of competition, aggressiveness, and I isolation. You know, a, a totally market-based transactional culture promotes isolation and competition, winning. So the complaint that I hear, you know, that you just kind of reiterated about, about women showing up too manly in quotations is because they've learned to play this game that our culture tells us is the only game of win. And, and there's, uh, we get really hemmed in guys hit guys hit the walls of the man box very quickly. If they start trying to break out of that. If we start trying to break out of what the culture tells us we're supposed to do, we get pushed back. What are you? Some kind of something? Right. What are you? You're not a real man anymore. And it's much harder, I think. And the good news is, hell yeah. And the research that, so if you want to talk neuroscience, you know, the research shows that we change our brains. We are plastic beings. We change our brains, and we can have it. We can have quite a bit of impact in a lifetime on a brain, and then that impact translates to our kids and our kids' kids. Mm -hmm. So, epigenetically, like the best work that we can do as a culture, in my view, is to figure out what we want our society and our culture to look like, and then create the systems that support that socialization. Right, that create healthy socialization for boys and girls, so that we get the kind of society maybe not this generation, maybe not even the next generation, but two generations from now, have the society that functions sustainably. Mm -hmm. um, we've talked a lot about what the wounds are, what the problems are that men face. Um, we've talked about your program, the Mankind Project the um, rite of passage that you go through, the hero's journey experience. Um, yeah. As we're coming up on time here, explain to the listeners what is the product of that experience? What do men walk out with that they didn't have before? Yeah, a sense of connection, that embodied connection to yourself that I think for most men is revolutionary, transformational, I know who I am in my bones. I feel who I am. 
connection to other men in a way that I don't think most men get. And the availability of having that connection long term in a community of supportive, conscious, forward looking guys, right? That kind of thing. And then I think that the kind of emotional intelligence skills, communication skills, self-reflection skills, awareness skills, intuition skills that uh, I have learned and that I see men learning in the Mankind Project is it's an advantage in everything. Mm -hmm. It's it's almost an unfair advantage (laughs) to be an emotionally intelligent, intuitive, self-aware man walking into the boardroom or your office or on the phone or, or with your kids was, or in the dating pool. I mean, there's so or, many, there's so many women that are looking for men that are just halfway, but you know, just bare minimum emotional intelligence and you'll separate yourself from the pack. You totally unfair advantage. Yes. Yeah. Totally unfair advantage. So if that, if you want any of those things, go find a place to do the work. Cause this I've, is I've heard that men do. I've, I've, yeah. I've heard that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Boyson, this has been a very uh, enlightening conversation. What what other thoughts do you have or, or things that you want to – I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for? What's, what's that thing where you uh, leave behind? Is, is there a, a sort of a concluding thought that you have that you want men to think about or a message for the guy that's sitting there and he's struggling a little bit and – uh, maybe his relationship is stagnated or uh, he's just not feeling the fire at work anymore. What, what yeah. do you have to say to that guy? Uh, two things. So if there's something in you that you can, if there's a little voice, if there's some kind of something going on in your belly that you can recognize as a call, it's not going to stop until you do something with it. So answer the call and in some way that is bold and risky. You're going to have to do something you've never done before to get results that you've never had before. So answer the call. That's one. And the second thing is, and this is for a lot of guys, and I'm aware this week was, you know, World Suicide Prevention Day as well. Mm -hmm. Isolation kills men. Watch for it in yourself. Watch for it in the men that the men that you're surrounded with. Watch for it in your families. Isolation kills men. And we have to do something together. I'm this is I am responsible. I'm responsible for changing that. Because it's impacting all of us and it's impacting our communities. Uh hundred percent agree with that. I, I know in some of my recent darker days, um, that isolation was a killer for sure. Um, and one little takeaway tip for those that are listening that really helped me was scheduling a call with a, a band of brothers, if you will. There you go. Um, you can do one a day if need be, but I, I had a couple of guys that I just, I had a scheduled call on my calendar, um, once a week. So I ended up talking to two different guys twice you know, twice a week, one, one each. And, um, I can't tell you how many times I go into that call. Like, I don't, I I don't want to be on this call. I don't want to be here. Like 
Absolutely. I just want to, you know, whatever. And by the time I get off the call, I'm like, oh, I remember who I am. Like, this is ridiculous. Let's go. Like, you got this. And that um, that connectivity and that um, brotherhood was so significantly profound for me at that time. Yes. So I highly encourage that. Where can somebody go to find out more about you guys? Mankindproject.org. Mankindproject.org. .org. Um, awesome call, boys, and really appreciate it, man. Um, love the work that you guys are doing, and uh, maybe I'll get out to one of these sometime soon. Yeah, man, get here. It'll be fun. It's Thanks been a again. Pleasure.